Welcome back to From the Bridge. I'm the Captain Rick Jones coming to you from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina, and the holidays are just around the corner. Today's show is all about collectibles in the sports and entertainment space. My guest angler is Matt Wolf of Ticket Time Machine, who will talk about his company, which produces collectible and commemorative tickets, credentials, and more. We'll also take trips to the soapbox and back out on the road with Rick. I'm one of those guys, the guy who collects a lot of things. I've been that way my whole life. First, it was coins. I have a very, very large coin collection. Later, it was record albums. Yes, I still have a lot of record albums that I still play. And then I got into the event marketing business, and the collection-itis continued. <laughs> when you walk into my home office, you'll see a hat rack with all of the credentials that I have from various events. Sporting events, musical events, seminars, festivals, you name it. I also have memorabilia from many of the events I have worked on, including Olympic and other lapel pins from the programs I was involved with, plus signed footballs and basketballs, framed photos from events, framed posters and memorabilia, including two very special T-shirts. One is a T-shirt that my granddad wore when he carried the Olympic torch in the Olympic torch relay in 1984. My grandfather had worked for the Atlanta Transit Company, which is now in Atlanta called MARTA, and he was their designee in his retirement age to carry uh, the Olympic torch that ended up in Los Angeles at the 1984 Games. And then later, my agency started a T-shirt auction, a daily auction for Haynes, our client. We're starting from day 500. We auctioned off a one-of-a-kind T-shirt with a celebrity auctioneer at Lenox Square Shopping Center in Atlanta every day. And we raised literally millions of dollars for big brothers and big sisters for Olympic tickets for children to come to the Olympic Games. And my staff actually bought for me the Haynes T-shirt auction day number 400, which I have framed in my office. I'd actually stolen the idea. I'd gone to Lillehammer, which was the uh, site of the 1994 Winter Olympic Games, and they had a T-shirt auction there. It was not quite as broad as ours. I think they did theirs from 100 days down. We, we ended up doing 500 days down, and again, was a very successful program. In my office, I also have four glass cabinets full of tchotchkes from various events, including Super Bowls, Final Fours, PGA Tour golf events, Wimbledon, the Goodwill Games, and many, many others. In the bonus room off my office, where I keep the file cabinets with old files from programs, plans, and reports, in that room, I have a baseball cap hung on the wall from most of the events I've ever worked on. So I have over 300 baseball caps uh, that are in there. Works out because I am um, I call myself follically challenged. Uh, that's also known as being a ball-headed guy, so you can never run out of baseball caps. I also have glass containers filled with matchbooks from my various On the Road with Rick restaurants. Yep, 
I'm a collector. And unfortunately, my son Ryan also has the same disease. He has collected souvenirs from trips and events he's attended. He's about to buy his first house, and he needs to get that stuff out of my house into his house because he's got a lot of that stuff. But, you know, we're not alone. The event souvenir and collectibles business is enormous. We collect game programs, point-of-sale materials, posters, pins, pennants, signed baseballs, jerseys, baseball cards, you name it. Things we both display or things that we put in drawers or in closets. Now, here's a great story about collectibles that I heard. There was a sales guy in New York, and he ended up buying a hundred signed baseballs from first Mickey Mantle and secondly from Willie Mays. So he had a hundred of these baseballs signed by each of these greats. He targeted a hundred prospects that he wanted to make a sales call on. And so he took a package that would hold two baseballs and he put the Willie Mays signed baseball and he sent them out to these hundred prospects and he said, if you'll agree to see me in person, I'll bring the other baseball that will fill the collection. So how did he do? 99 out of 100 said, absolutely come in. What a great thing that that says about what we collect and why we collect them. My guest angler knows a whole lot about collectibles. Matt Wolf is the founder and CEO of Ticket Time Machine. Matt will tell us all about what he does at Ticket Time Machine and equally important, why he does it. Let's welcome Matt to the bridge. Hey, Matt, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Well, tell me a little bit about Ticket Time Machine. I love the name. Uh, what gave you the idea? Tell our listeners what you do, why you do it. Yeah, so Ticket Time Machine is a commemorative ticket company. I, I use the word ticket, but we do magnets, posters. Um, so it's really just we're, we're selling memories. And the reason I started it is because everything is going digital and mobile for tickets and we want to keep the printed ticket and printed memory alive. I was at a Marlins game when Ensign Volquez throws a no hitter and I had a mobile ticket. The Marlins actually announced over the loudspeaker, if you want a printed ticket, come to the box office. And I said, this is great. I got up to the, to the window and I said, can you put Edison Volquez no hitter on the ticket? And they said that they couldn't. And I know that they can because my background was in ticket printing and so that's how I came up with the idea. You know, it's interesting how we stumble sometimes into businesses based on things that we have seen that are lacking in the marketplace. But, uh, you know, I'm a guy that I have a, a hat rack in my office with all of the lanyards and all of the, you know, VIP credentials and all that kind of stuff that I've had throughout the years. And I, I would be very saddened to go to an event where there is a memory and not have a collectible to take back with me. Yeah. And so even to expand on your comment, I go to probably, we, 
back in the day when the Marlins were playing at the the Dolphin Stadium, we'd go to about probably about eight or nine games a year because we could go in the parking lot and we can tailgate and spend three hours, you know, hanging out and then going to the game. Now at the new stadium, it's a little bit further for me. I, I essentially only go if it's a really good game, like if they're playing the Yankees or if they're doing a giveaway. And so it was a, I think it was a Stanton giveaway that day. And I, I wouldn't have gone probably to that game if I didn't, if they weren't giving away the bobblehead. And if I don't go to that game, you know, I don't see that no hitter, and then I don't go to the box office. Now, I think I probably would have stumbled into the idea anyway, but it might have taken longer. So it's just interesting how things go. You know, I have watched, uh, sadly, in a COVID world, kind of the demise of minor league baseball this year and how many minor league teams are suffering. We recently announced that our our minor league baseball team, the Charleston River Dogs is not going to be a Yankee affiliate next year uh, after after a long, long time. Yeah, and I think a lot of the big league clubs are just saying economically we can no longer subsidize a lot of minor league teams. But we do know this. A lot of minor league baseball traffic is driven by collectibles. You know, it's it's like every game is some sort of a giveaway. And and so this year we've heard not only – you know, minor league baseball not having games and players not getting paid and people that take up tickets and working concession stands, but also the premium industry as a whole. Um, you, you, you know, we were not in a position to give things away, so it's been really, you know, interesting to watch and to see how that's going to bounce back. Yeah, it's a, my opinion on that part is a whole other conversation. You know, the Yankees have enough money to keep a minor league team around. It's just... You know, that's a whole sad thing. Um, but yeah, this, in some respects, all this stuff is a gimmick. Like you got you, people are using all these gimmicks, whether it's through email to just get your attention. And then it's, it all, it really is important what you do once you have their attention, because just giving that away, isn't going to be enough. So, you know, you got, you have to have something else that draws. One of the things that is great that we think about ticket time machine is the ticket itself used to be an expense where say, look, we're not, we don't want to print this anymore, but now you can use it as a revenue stream. And then you could also offer it as an asset to your your advertisers and your sponsors and brand partners. So, you know, what we're looking to do is have like, a, you know, a win-win-win for everyone. Um, so it's not even just like, hey, look, you need to give this to your people. You say if someone wants it, they should have the ability to get it. And the ability potentially, as you mentioned before, to customize it. Right. Customize is big. So we're not doing anything that people can't do or haven't done. Again, when the lady said we can't do that, that's a big thing for me right now is everyone's saying using the word can't when they really mean won't. (laughs) And so they can do it. They just don't want to do it. And I, I, you know, I understand why they don't want to do it, but we're going to do it. And now it's like the conversations I had, well, we don't want you to do it, but we don't want to do it ourselves. It's you know, you have that. It's almost like that non-compete. Like, we don't want you working for us anymore, but we don't want you working for them. You know, um, tell me tell me a little bit about how you got to this point. You know, what's your background? What was your professional journey? What what led you to, you know, I, I see the short term how you created the business, but let's talk about the long play. Where did you start and, and what did you do in the past? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Marlboro, New Jersey, and my mom always instilled in entrepreneurship in us 
And we, we did, there was an outdoor market. We bought that stain remover and we were out there showing people how you can remove stains. And then we went around to the neighborhoods and on the curb, we were painting house numbers because it was hard to see, you know, in the dark, what house you were going to. And so we always thought that, look, the best way to, to be happy and to make the money would be to do something yourself and find out what people need and then, and then give it to them. Um, it just took me a long time to get that. I also didn't have necessarily the motivation that I needed. Uh, so I graduated college and I jumped around to a, a number of jobs that I would never have put on my resume if I didn't have to. And uh, my dad kept telling me, go into sales, go into sales. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm not pushy. I'm not phony. I don't think that's how you can be successful in sales. And Eventually, I got to work for Worldwide Ticket Craft, which is the, the ticket printing. That's how I got into the ticketing industry and quickly realized that you don't have to be that way to be successful in sales. And so I, I had that was actually my first really good job. I ended up the six or seven years and then I moved on and I ended up selling anti-money laundering solutions for, for LexisNexis and did very well there. But even as I'm doing well, I'm just thinking to myself, well, I don't, you know, I don't really enjoy talking about this stuff. So I'm always trying to think, what can I do for myself? And, you know, it doesn't even need to be like these big ticket items. It could just be, hey, you know, like the Lance Armstrong bracelets, right? I mean, you were selling millions and millions and millions of them, and they were probably making a very little amount. So that's what I'm trying to think. What do people want that I can do? And uh, also always knew that I, I, I needed to be my own boss because, I just, I need the flexibility. I don't have to want to listen to what someone's telling me what to do any more than I want to tell other people what to do. So, uh, you know, the last two jobs I had were very good, but they weren't, they were good financially. They just weren't satisfying. And so that's, I always was thinking about it. And the second I, I, uh, thought about the ticket business, then I just jumped into it. And I always had these ideas about stuff I wanted to do. And I just, once I hit that first block, I didn't, go over it i just let that stop me and that's the big thing for this is this time i just said you know i'm just going for it i'm just and once you get over that first hurdle it's i'm not going to say it's smooth sailing but that's like the the hardest thing to be like it's very easy to just say i can't do this or there's too much it's this is a problem and i'm not going to be able to do this and so i just said i'm doing it and here we are well entrepreneurism I'm not sure it can be taught. I know there's some curriculum in college right now that are trying to teach entrepreneurism. I, I just think it's kind of in your DNA. You know, you grew up, like you said, selling things. I, here's a funny story about me. I, I I sold mistletoe every year at Christmas from the time I was nine years old till I graduated <laughs> from college. And and the thing about mistletoe, number one, you started with it, it was free. I mean, you went up in the tree and you got it. Everybody said, oh, did you shoot it out with a gun? No, then you lose berries. No, you climb the tree and you pick the mistletoe and you brought it all <laughs> back home and you would bundle it in little things, tie it with a little red yarn. And then, you know, early in, you know, like when I was a nine-year-old, I'd go to shopping malls and I would set up in the parking lot. You know, cold nights were the best because people would feel sorry for you. Uh, but, you know, you'd get a guy with his date, and, and you'd say, uh, uh, would you like to have some mistletoe? And, of course, the guy would go, <laughs> I don't need it. 
And then you knew you'd be fine because about 15 minutes later, the girl would come back and buy four, you know, because she felt so bad that he was such a jerk. Uh, but I literally sold missile. And people, people would look at me like, you're nuts. I said, the last year, I was a senior in college, and I think the last year of the mistletoe business, I made over $5,000. Um, wow, I mean, that's, that's a lot of mistletoe. But, yeah. you, you know, I've just, I'm the same way. I'm the same DNA, uh, you know. Um, I like I like being my own boss, and I like having ideas and making them come alive. And so, and so now you're in that position where you're seeing, you know, ideas that you had, and the only thing that stops you is you, right? Well, the licensing and the permission stops me right now. But <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll get there. But yeah, I can yeah. do. Yeah. I can do. I can do. And also, like, there's some other things that I'm working on. So once I'm doing this. I just started having all these ideas. We're working. We're working on a Gator alumni basketball game that was done 11 years ago. That's probably for another conversation. And we're we partnered with a with a company that's building us a virtual city. That's going to be a mix of social and corporate and education, kind of like Second Life or Sims. Um, it's going to be an affordable uh, platform for people who want to do events, and that's good for now. But it'll even be okay and, and work well when the live comes back. So that's probably for another show too. But uh, you know, I'm I'm in over, not in over my head, but I'm I'm working you know 24 seven on Ticket Time Machine, and then also saw this other idea and said, you know what, let's just do it. And you figure out how to you figure out how to get it done. I was watching uh, 60 Minutes um, not long ago when they interviewed Ken Burns, the the great uh, fil- film director, and uh, he's a guy that I actually had a chance to meet and and do some things with in the past. But he said he was working on seven pictures at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said that's what we do. He said he said everything. Everybody thinks our film business is the business of addition. It's the business of subtraction. We get so much content, then we have to squeeze it back and say, what, what are we going to use? What are we not going to use? And I think entrepreneurs, by nature, just probably have more ideas than you could even get to um, each and every day. Now, are, are you a collector? Are you somebody that collected stuff? Yeah, I collect everything. Like, literally, I collect everything. And my wife hates it. We just moved to a new house, and I promise her I'll. I'll throw some stuff out or I'll be able to organize. Don't it make better. promises you can't keep now. <laughs> <laughs> I throw, I throw on a little bit. The thing is like, I could, the, the thing is I collect these ridiculous things from vacations I went to or, or events. And so part of it, of the reason why I, I I'm really excited about ticket time machine is we're going to be able to give you something that you're not going to want to throw away, that it actually makes sense to keep. Not, um, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you some of the stuff. If I showed you, it's, it's almost embarrassing the stuff you keep, but it's a memory. It's something that connects you to that place and that time. And she's like, well, why can't you throw this out? And I'm like, it just reminds me of this thing. So if I had a ticket or a credential or something that tied me to that, it'd be a lot easier, first of all, to, to collect and organize, but it wouldn't be something that you say, Hey, let's throw this out. My partner, Ron Cook, uh, at one point in his career, represented a a bunch of ex-NFL quarterbacks. Uh, He had, of that era, you know, he had the John Unitas's and the Bart Stars and the Danny Whites and the Norm Sneeds and Roman Gabriel. I mean, I think one time he had like 37 
former NFL people. And what was going on with them at the time is that was that era of they would do card shows, collectible shows, and they would, you know, sit and sign autographs all day, but it was very disorganized. And he ended up kind of organizing them into a point. And then he even took a lot of their collectibles to home shopping network and shop at home network in some of those places um, in a way to, to have, you know, we're going to interview John Unitas and he's going to sign, you know, 400 footballs <laughs> that you can sell. Um, what are some of the favorite items that you have? You mentioned you collect everything, but, but you know, and you mentioned that you, you promised your wife, probably unsuccessfully, that you were going to throw some things out. But what are you definitely not going to throw away? Well, we bought we bought a bigger place than we need. So I got you know my office and a, an a entertainment room. So I, I'm hoping I can not throw. Uh, I have I have signed baseballs that my dad gave me, and they have uh, Jackie Robinson is on there. I have a signed baseball from uh, Tebow and Pete Alonso from a minor league game I went to. Bobbleheads. I I, I love collecting bobbleheads. Um, those are probably the things. Most, I, I won't throw away my cards, and that's really where I started collecting those, my baseball cards. And we used to get a you know a new set every year. We'd go to the hobby shop every year, and for Hanukkah we'd we'd get a, a the new set of cards. And just I mean we have so much. I've even lost a ton that were valuable, but I have so many of them, and that's something that I you know that I love to keep. And I lo- I look at them every once in a while. You look them up to see what they're worth. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, I have tickets, obviously I have tickets. I have a, I, so I talked to the university of Florida. They're, they're just opened up a new baseball stadium and they said they're going to do something commemorative. And I said, well, we can do something really good for you. We can customize it and personalize it, which they weren't thinking of doing because the person they're talking to is, it probably would be too expensive for them. And so I said to him, I said, look, I, I have the, the batting card that you guys gave away from the first ever Gator softball game in 1997 when I was a student there. It was the first ever game, and they gave away this, this lanyard-type thing with the, with the batting card, and it said who they played and what the date was. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff you need to have because if it's just a, g- a generic commemorative thing that means nothing to anyone, it's not worthy of keeping. And I was at the College World Series a few years ago, and they, they – put this thing that said commemorative ticket. It had nothing customized or personalized. It was essentially a postcard and I, I have it, but there's nothing to it. It's, I just look at it and I'm like, these guys have the right idea, but they're doing it wrong. And that's where I believe that I can make it better. Let's talk and about that. Let's, some- yeah. Let's go a little deeper in that. So yeah, do, you, do you think it should even go beyond, um, you know, the game and the date, but maybe you're getting it after the fact so that it has the score. Um, yeah, we score would be good. Highlights, you know, we're looking at pushing digital content where you can put highlights or or the box score or maybe vid, you know video from it. There's just a, there's so much that we can do with it. I actually got a an email this morning. And the email is from this guy, and he, he sent me, he said, you know, I, I took my wife to the, the game last night, and or not my wife, my significant other, and it was our first NFL game together. Can you get me a ticket for that? Because I'm, I'm a part of this, 
this group called Booger Stubbs on Facebook. You should check it out. It's outrageous. These guys are like hardcore collectors. And they're all paranoid that their whole everything they've been doing is done. And even someone like me who can print, I, right now I can only print on my generic stock and I, I'm not charging anyone because I'm not allowed to. Now, by the way, if I did do whatever I wanted to do, I'd be very busy, like ridiculously busy. And there's someone who printed, who started a company and they, they sold Chiefs tickets, but they're, they're kind of like skirting the law. So they don't, it says KC against NE and it doesn't have any logos on it, but it looks like it on the back. They put like statistics and stuff like that. So that's a good idea. But I'm, as I'm looking at this ticket, it's like it's not authentic. Yeah, and authenticity is so authentic. critical. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. And that's what these guys want. So even if I could print a Mets ticket with the Mets logo, you know, it would have to be something that looks authentic. And they still might not want. I'm not as worried about those people because they're buying and selling and trading. It's not. It, that's not really what I want to do. I don't want to print someone a ticket and see it on eBay, you know, a month later for four times the price. I want to get the people who want to collect. And so there's another, there's a major league baseball team who did an opening day ticket. It's not, I, I say the word ticket. It's a three by seven. The back of it is blank. It's not personalized. So it says section row seat, living room, couch, middle seat. That's not personalized. What if I want my season tickets on there? And to, and the craziest part about that is they sent in an identical size brochure four color front and back. So instead of putting something on the back of the ticket, they just sent a second one. So it was twice the cost of the, of the printing, which isn't a lot to begin with and, and gave you something that it's not a ticket. They use the word ticket just too loosely. They, it's not a mobile ticket. It's a mobile admission, right? The ticket is, you know, it's you, people use the word ticket the way they use all these other words. Um, it's not really what it is. So, uh, yeah, customizing is is the is the way to go. I think that's what what people want. We have people they want a ticket for the game that their daughters or they collect every year. They collect the the tickets for the you know for their birthdays or anniversaries or it was my first game. And the thing about the customization is, and why we think the the past tickets are going to be huge is, you just never know what's a memory at the time necessarily. It might not become a memory that's worthy to you for two years, three years, 10 years. And so we can go back, and that's why it's Ticket Time Machine. We have arrows on our logo front and back on the tees to be like, look, there's, there's events that are happened in the past that people are going to want. I'd love to do a reprint of, uh, of Woodstock, you know, but we got to get permission from them. I think there's enough people who would want it where we can literally recreate that ticket. And it will be a collectible. That's interesting. You know, we've done some research that shows that um, if you bring a child to a team before the age of five, that it overlays an indelible memory. And that even if you grow up to be a fan of another team, that first love never leaves you. Um, and, and it's really kind of fascinating to, to see that. My my partners at engagement uh, are, are both ex Disney guys. And, you know, one of the things when you go to Disney as a child, you, you get a button that says my first trip yeah. to Disney. I mean, it's, you they know, do that and, for the sports games too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think in college sports, we've been talking about, they definitely need to begin to do that, cultivate that recognize, you know, and to think about what you can do today. I mean, number one, you could give them a, a, a unique 
uh, credential. Uh, you could take them down on the field. You could you could recognize them, put them up on the jumbotron. You could capture that moment. You could have a barcode on the credential. Go home, download it, and can see your son or daughter. You know, yeah. in, 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 in at, at Florida Field. Uh, up on the big screen uh, in, in a way um, that I think could be again you're you're you're, you're facilitating memories. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it gives it, you a good feeling. It gives you a great feeling when you go to the game and you're going to remember that. That's how it's all about treating the fans right, and not to say that they're not doing it again. They're just not doing it right. I got uh, I the amphitheater by my house does the same thing. My first concert and they give it away. It's a it's a laminated. I don't know what you want to call it. Lamin- it's laminated, but it's not, it's not great. It's just, it's, it's not. And if you're going to give it away, you know, you should do something that's nice. Now I love the idea that they're doing, but you got to execute it. And then that's something you can even charge. Even if you charge a dollar to cover some costs, you know, people will buy that. Yeah. So people will yeah, yeah, could have it, it too. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've said this in a, in a commodity world and, and, and clearly in, in, during COVID, we found out that the biggest commodity of all was Amazon. Um, in a commodity world, unless you're Amazon or Walmart, <laughs> um, you better live at the intersection of the authentic and the exceptional. And and so, you know, you said, hey, th- this amphitheater got the authentic part right, but they missed on the exceptional part. Yeah. And you need both parts to be successful. Yeah, I think, again, it just all goes back to we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just making it better. And then once we once we have it, we're, then we're going to start to, you know, I, I have visions of turning the, the trading card market on its side with other stuff. But you got to get, you know, you got to get to the first things first because you got to convince people that this is this is what you should be doing. And it's in this it's always a hard thing to do. Because nobody wants to, to put their neck on the line for something. But we're offering programs at literally zero risk. So it's like, look, let's create something. We'll put it on sale. If you sell seven of them, we'll print seven of them. And we lost. We'll call it a loss. But at least it, it's something that the fans have an option to do. And so we did that for a program. And we, we, we only sold, I think, nine of them, which was there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, but it's not just enough to have it out there. It's got to be sold correctly. It's got to be marketed correctly. And one of the, the the problems was it wasn't for that. So it didn't do so well. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't want what we're selling. Well, I always try to identify problems um, and then figure out, you know, what is the solution to the problem? One of the problems I'm going to say when we do get back together is are corporations going to be as aggressive about buying blocks of corporate tickets? Are they going to be aggressive about buying suites and those kinds of things? And I think part of the problem is the lack of understanding of a ticket management system to know I've made an investment. Did I get a return on that investment or did I end up with a whole bunch of tickets in a drawer someplace that somebody's secretary's boyfriend's babysitter (laughs) ended up getting those things if you could start with a corporation and saying you know every night with the marlins could be a memory every night and 
the ability to say, who are your guests in your suite tonight? And we can do something very special for them afterwards to remind them, hey, you know, you, you know, truest bank brought you here. Um, and we, we appreciated you being there and we wanted you to have this memory. Um, and that keeps them engaged because it's not only just then it's like, you know, three, you know, three days or a week or three months from then you're going to start, you'll, you'll keep going back to it. So one of the big things that I have in conversations with, let's just say, you know, it's been more college teams, but I said, what are you going to tell the person who's been collecting season tickets for 30 years that they can't get a printed ticket anymore. And they're like, well, we haven't gotten a lot of people complaining, blah, blah, blah. I said, they might not come to complain to you and they're not going to cancel their season ticket. But what they're going to do is they're going to have a, a sad, a sour feeling about the situation. And in some respect, they're going to somewhere else, they're going to cut back and they're not going to do this for you. Or the next time you ask them for, $30, they might be like, nah, you know what? I'm not. And I had that situation for me. I had given an organization money every year and I had a sour experience with them. And the next time I got that, I said, look, if you don't need the money that I'm trying to offer to you, then I'm not going to give you my $75 this year. And I ripped it up and I threw it away. And so there's so much a measurable data. That's I've been so big on immeasurable data because everyone's looking at, Hey, what can we sell you? to say, hey, here's the data, and we monetize it. But there's so much immeasurable data out there. And obviously, by definition, you can't measure it. So they don't want to talk about it because it, it, they can't sell it necessarily. But if I have this really cool first-time, you know, uh, first game, and, and you, 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 know, you, you show it to your neighbor, and like, man, this is cool. I'd love to take my son to a game and have him have this experience. But you don't know who they – and then that person tells six people. And now all of a sudden you got 20 people who came, who bought a ticket who maybe wouldn't have bought a ticket. Well, we find this a lot. We, we're, we're talking about the real key in, in the sports and entertainment world is the monetization of your tribe. It, it, but in some cases you don't know who your tribe is. Right. Because like you said, you don't know who was the guest that night. Somebody gave those tickets away. You know who you sold those tickets to, but you don't know – who actually showed up and, and how to do that. The other thing I'm telling people is that the, 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 the new sponsorship model, in my opinion, is not going to be the model of I'm paying you for access. I'm, you know, you, I'm, I'm not going to write you a check to put my sign in your stadium or to have a certain right. set of assets. What I will do is write you a big check for being able to um, have a relationship with your tribe. And in many cases, if you had a credential with a barcode, and I could take that barcode back to a quick service restaurant and get a discount, yeah. then 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 I have ongoing measurable data, and I'll pay you. Let's say I'm Dunkin' Donuts. You know, I'm going to say I'm not going to pay you a big rights fee, but every time one of your tribal members comes to Dunkin' Donuts with your credential and swipes it, I'll compensate you for that. Uh, I'll pay you uh, for, for delivering your tribe. And so I think what you're doing with printing and barcodes um, is going to be the future of sponsorship, too, beyond the future of just collectibles. Well, it's digital and print, too, because you have a barcode, sure. But on that ticket, Dunkin' Donuts is going to have a presence. You know, it's not it's not just a digital. And then think about this. This is a sort of an a weird situation, but let's say I have a stadium full of people who are just coming to this one event and they're never going to come back to this event and that's it. 
What's going to be more important to them? Seeing Dunkin' Donuts as the name of the stadium and around it or going home with a, with a, with a real nice souvenir that has Dunkin' Donuts on it that has stuff that's going to keep you engaged with Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, I did a deal a few years ago. We did um... – we were fortunate enough to do the college marketing for the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. on the mall. And and one of the ideas that I, I wanted to do and, and couldn't persuade him to do was Coca-Cola was so instrumental during the Second World War. In fact, Franklin Roosevelt cut a deal with the CEO of Coke, Bob Woodruff, that said, Bob, everywhere troops go, we'll build bottling plants because every troop... Uh, deserves a Coke. And if you look at the history of the global expansion of the Coca-Cola company, it was where we fought. And so, you know, Pepsi had strongholds in places like Russia uh, and India because we didn't fight there. But everywhere else we fought, we we, we built Coca-Cola's global infrastructure. And I wanted to go, I went to Coke and said, you, you need to do dog tags. I mean, a, a Coke classic, you know, the sweet spot for a Coke classic consumer is a 10-year-old boy. Give him a dog tag uh, with a six pack of the old fashioned little, you know, miniature bottles, glass bottles, and then have, have him go back every week with the, with the barcode on the, on the dog tag and figure out what else he could do. And I couldn't get him to do it, but I, I really do believe that's going to be the future is what kind of collectibles can I give away that have longer shelf life and more consumer, uh, 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 you know, activities and initiatives. Well, how many think about this? And this is another thing why I keep a lot of stuff. I don't ever throw anything that has my name on it. I mean, I collect, I was collecting even the badges, like nondescript badges for the, for the trade shows that I used to go to for Lexus Nexus. And I'm just like, what, you know, I just don't throw it out. It's got my name on it. It was something happened there. And so if you have someone's name on it, they're just, I don't know what the research is. I'm, I'm not always a stack guy. Like I, I heard people were telling me, well, you got to get some statistics to prove that this is a thing. I said, I no, I don't, <laughs> because that's just that I have a statistic that says, like fifty percent of all people who go to eleven or more NBA games collect at least some some sometimes, and like eighteen percent as much as possible. But that's a huge number if you think about it. But that no one's going to look at that and say, okay, well here, let's do this. I know because I hear every call I have is is with someone who's. I've never heard someone say this is a terrible idea. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, you're an instinctive marketer. You can see some things. I laughingly tell everybody, remember, if, if the consumer had told Henry Ford what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And and uh, he, right. he he made the decision not, not to give him a faster horse, but to give him an automobile, and we've got to be able to do that. we got to go here in a minute. Let me ask you one more question. What do you think's next? In the, in the world of collectibles, is there anything out there that you think might be uh, something we need to pay attention to? Yeah, I just think the, the, the combination of the digital and the printed. With, so we, we have some augmented reality experiences that we can do. And it's great if you go to a game and they have that where you're dancing with the players. But now if you're, you bring it home with you. So I think the digital, the cross between the digital and the physical, whether it's a barcode or QR code, pushing a coupon or pushing highlights or maybe we can gamify it. Um, and I really think the stuff that we're doing is with the, with the virtual city is going to be, you know, I know that's not collectibles, but I think that's going to be pretty huge for us. And, and the tickets will tie in because the events we do on a virtual, they're, they're events that are unique, historic. And if they're, if it's a good enough event, 
it should be commemorated. Yeah, you want to commemorate it. I commemorated my own wedding. I commemorated my own wedding. Yeah. Um, So it's, you know, the the opportunities are endless and we're excited about where we're headed. Um, So just tell, tell everyone, tell your team, tell your venue, tell your concert, your artist, all of your feedback. Tell them, hey, we want this. And that's how stuff gets done. If they get enough noise that says, we want this, um, they're going to have to give it to the, the person. Well, the consumer always drives um, the marketplace, and it's clear that the consumer, A, wants to collect, B, wants to have a memory, and C, wants to remain involved with the relationship beyond. And technology today from, like you said, barcodes, augmented reality, anything that you can now put. I mean, everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody yeah. everybody can scan something and then see something, and every, and all that can be customized for them. So, hey, listen, yeah. pal, I really appreciate you being with us today from the bridge. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Speaking of collectibles, let's jump back up on the soapbox. Here's the truth. No one ever wants another plaque. (laughs) So how do we reward the people that help you? I give a lot of speeches, and it seems like at the conclusion of every one, someone gives me a plaque to say how much they appreciated my speech. No offense, but I don't need any more plaques. Where am I supposed to put them? I also don't need any more koozies. I don't need any more logoed ink pens, coffee mugs, baseball caps, or keychains. I simply don't have enough drawers for all of these. No one else does either. Starbucks gift cards are always appreciated. So is cash. And thank you can never be used enough. Just thought I'd put that out there from the old soapbox. Let's close today's show with yet another wonderful place to eat on the road with Rick. Now, we've been talking about collectibles. And so I want to tell you about a place that has some amazing art. Over the years, I have fallen in love with the city of Lafayette, Louisiana. I have a lot of great friends down there, and I love the Cajun food. One of my go-to places has been the Blue Dog Cafe. Sadly, they closed in June after 20 years due to the coronavirus, but I am hearing they are planning a comeback soon. This place was developed to celebrate the artworks of Cajun artist George Rodrigue. He was an artist who painted the famed Blue Dogs of South Louisiana, and the restaurant is full of the artworks of George Rodrigue. And the food is terrific. Contemporary renditions of Cajun favorites with cool spins like crawfish enchiladas, smoked duck quesadillas, and of course, really, really, really good poor boys and gumbos. I hope they reopen soon. The food and the art are worth the trip to Lafayette on the road with Rick. Thanks for being with us today and to my special guest, Matt Wolf of Ticket Time Machine. I hope you'll join us again next week from the bridge. <laughs>